0: Well, good morning. If you have a Bible this morning, why don't you open it to John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. We'll be starting our look at the book of John. It'll take us a couple of years to get through it all. Uh, anybody else here drowning in ragweed? Anybody else besides me? Anybody? little fact for you. Ragweed is in the Hebrew Bible. It's Hebrew for... The devil's dandruff. That's, that, is, that is a totally 100% not true fact of the Bible. I thought you would enjoy. All right, so John chapter one, verse one, is if there is a verse in the entire Bible that changes the way you have to live your life, this is it, all right? I, I would submit there's many more uh, verses in the Bible that would radically change how you have to look at life, but if there is a verse in the Bible that radically changes how you have to look at life, John chapter one, verse one is one of those. It's a cataclysm. It's something that changes, that, that is a, as a, is a massive shift in how you look at the world. Like, for example, what if you, what were you doing on November 21st, 1963? Some of you, I know some of you are going, wasn't born. (laughs) Okay. But I guarantee you know what you were doing the next day. Okay. You know, what were you doing on uh, January 27th, 1986, you know, Uh, because the next day I know where I was, I was home from school watching the space shuttle launch and trying to figure out what happened. Uh, What were you doing on November 8th, 1989, you know, because the next night I know I was watching TV as the Berlin Wall falls. What were you doing on September 10th of 2001? Right now, I know some of you in this room are still going and man, I was in, I was not even in school yet in, um, in, in 2001. I wasn't even in, I was in first grade. I was in preschool. Okay. Gotcha. All right. What were you doing on March 23rd, 2006? Because Hannah Montana started the next day. Now be quiet. The adults are talking. (laughs) All right get some crackers, be quiet. (laughs) All right. So when you look at John one, I want you to understand cataclysm that if you have not just looked at the, if you've looked at this verse or, or, or You get your your bearing from this verse. It is a massive implication in how anyone who understands it and believes it is going to live their life because it is a shift in how we see the very world we live in. In John chapter one, verses one and two, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, John here, as you probably know, if you've been exposed to the Bible at all, and if you haven't, John is about to go on a very lengthy prologue to his book in which he claims that a person that he calls the Word, who is God and was with God, will become a human being and live on the earth. Now, if you're not familiar with that at all, that is a stunning claim. Now, for most of us here this morning, of course, raised in a Christian tradition, this is as much a part of our understanding of the world as you could get. We understand this. Christmas is one of our biggest days because we think through the ramifications of God being born as a human. But understand that if even if that is something you've lived with your whole life, try to grasp the magnitude of what John is claiming, that God was with God and was God and he's going to become a person and he's going to live a life with us. This is a massive claim. Now, uh, if you're not familiar with it, John chapter one and first John chapter one are very similar. John wrote both of them, obviously, and I want you to get a bigger taste of what he's trying to say here in this verse in John chapter one, or first John chapter one, verses one and following. It says this that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So here, here, putting those together, here's what... John is trying to say, John is trying to say, God became a human being and lived with us. And not only that, I spoke with him. I touched him. I talked to him. I listened to him. I heard him. I ate fish sticks with him. We hung out. And I want you to understand that that's exactly what I'm trying to say. So John is not mincing words here. He's not trying to slide one past anybody. He's being straight up front. John, the man who wrote this book, believes that he met God in a human form, lived with God in human form for about three years, and learned from God in human form what to say, what to teach, what to think, about the world. Those are stunning claims. Amen? If John is accurate, if he's true, if he's right, that is cataclysmic knowledge. It's going to change everything. Because if, if, if God became a human being to live among us and to teach us, we must pay attention. Right? We must pay attention. Now, over the course of the book of John, as we look at it for the next couple of years, you're going to see John labor as hard as he can to get across the point that Jesus Christ, the man who he says is the word of God become flesh, was God. And he does this in a variety of ways. Uh, first of all, he claims it in John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He also does it by telling that Jesus himself claimed to be God. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus is in a dispute with the Pharisees. He says, Abraham's on my side. Abraham saw me and was happy about it. The Pharisees go, how could you possibly claim to have seen Abraham who lived millennia before us? and you are not even 40 and you say you saw Abraham and Jesus answered them in John 8:58 and he says this Jesus said to them truly truly I say to you before Abraham was I am Now that's either terrible grammar and Jesus gets an F or something else is going on in this passage and as you probably know something else is going on in this passage In the Old Testament when God Meets Moses, or rather, when Moses meets God, and God tells Moses, Go into the court of Pharaoh, tell them I sent you to come get my people. Moses asks him, Who do I tell them sent me? What is the name of the God who is sending me to tell Pharaoh to let his people go? And in essence, God tells him, Tell them my name is I am. Right? In Hebrew, the name is Yahweh we say it in English as Jehovah. He says, tell them my name is Jehovah, or Yahweh, the I am. When Jesus answers this question in John eight, and he says, before Abraham was, I am. He says the name of God and claims it for himself. So in essence, even though he is speaking Aramaic, probably there may be Greek, And the writing in John is in Greek. What you could listen and hear him saying is when the Pharisees ask him, Who are you? You know, who to say, who are you to say that you know who Abraham is? And he says, I'll tell you who I am. I am. Now, if you think that I'm crazy or stretching it here, you can read John chapter 8 and watch the Pharisees' reaction. Because you know what they do? They pick up stones to kill him. They didn't miss what he was saying. It's not like Jesus has really bad grammar and they're gonna kill him for bad grammar. You use their split infinitive. You know, like, that's not what happened. That's what some of my English teachers did. But not what the Pharisees are doing. They know he is claiming deity. He said the Old Testament name of God, and he uses it about himself. Now, not only does John claim that he believes that Jesus was God because he hung out with him and knew him, he's not only saying that Jesus himself claimed to be God. John makes even more staggering assumptions and claims. Now this one you may not know about. Probably you have heard of the famous text from Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six, where Isaiah sees God and sees him high and lifted up, right? And in Isaiah chapter six, Uh, verses one and following. Here's what Isaiah sees. It's a very famous passage and and you may have heard it. He says this, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Those are angels. Uh, Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Now here in the Bible, this word Lord is the Hebrew name of God, Jehovah. Holy, holy, holy is Jehovah, the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Again, Jehovah, Lord. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. That's Isaiah chapter six. In John chapter 12, when John is wrapping up sort of Jesus's public ministry, because Jesus is about to go into the upper room on the night before he's crucified. This is how John wraps up his understanding of Jesus's ministry. In John chapter 12, verse 37, he says, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's from Isaiah chapter eight. That's not what we're looking at. Verse 39 says, therefore, they could not believe, meaning the Jews of that time were sealed in unbelief by God. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and turn with their heart uh, and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. He is quoting the Isaiah six passage. Be ever seeing, never understanding. Be ever hearing, never perceiving. He's quoting that. He has blinded their eyes. He's hardened their heart. He's quoting that verse. Uh, And in John chapter 12, verse 41, this is John. He says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now, too many pronouns here. Isaiah said these things because he, Isaiah, saw his, Jesus's, glory, glory. And spoke of him, Jesus. This passage is claiming, John is claiming that Isaiah's vision was of the Son, that he saw Jesus when he had this vision. So not only does John say Jesus was God straight out, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Not only does John say that Jesus claimed to be God in John chapter eight by using the name of the Lord, but John even goes so far as to go back into the Old Testament and go, these great visions of God were of the Son. They were of the God we know as the man Jesus. Now, I don't have to go too far into sort of Jewish custom to tell you that the Jews were very, very, very devout in how they used the name of God, Jehovah. Famously, they wouldn't even write it down in their scriptures. When we get into the scriptures of the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible, in the ancient texts we have, the name of God is not even written down. Uh, They just will put the consonants of the names. Um, And it's it's these five famous consonants. Consonants. Uh, In some Old Testament translations, they won't even write those five consonants down. They use um, what are called targums, which are phrases to replace it. So they'll say, instead of saying the Lord or Jehovah, they'll say uh, God Almighty or the, the gracious one or things like that. And one of the phrases they used to replace the name of God in the Old Testament in John's time was the phrase the word of life where John pulls it. So he's pulling everything. He's saying, I believe he's God. I was with him. I touched him. I know him. I heard him. He's God. He's saying he claimed to be God. He uses the name Jehovah about himself. And then unthinkably, he goes back into the Old Testament to say, he is the God we've always known. And it's not just John who does that. If John was the only book that insisted on the deity of Jesus, we'd have an issue. But we see it play itself out across a spectrum of things. In 1 Peter chapter 2, this is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you and uh, is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, he's quoting, the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone and, another quote, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. That's Peter in First Peter. He's quoting Isaiah chapter eight. In Isaiah chapter eight, this is what Isaiah says. But the Lord of hosts, again, Jehovah him you shall honor is holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it and they shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Peter takes Old Testament references to Jehovah and says they are about Jesus. The deity of Christ is not one passage. It's not just John 1. It is all through the New Testament. It's a bedrock statement. It's meant to be to us a firm foundation of an understanding about what they are saying about God. And what trips people up about these passages usually, and especially John 1, where it's so plain, that what John is trying to say about Jesus is that he was God in the flesh is when we take a look at the passage and it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Now, if it just said the Word was God and continued, we go, okay. Or if it just said, and the Word was with God, we'd say, okay, and move on. But it says the Word is both with God and the Word is God. And there lies one of the main stumbling blocks for people who've had trouble understanding a doctrine that Christians call the Trinity. Now, Trinity means that we believe there is a God who is one God, but that he exists in the form of three indivisible yet distinct people. And right there you're going, that sentence makes no sense. I agree, math makes no sense. But that doesn't stop it from being right, okay? We believe that the Bible teaches us that God exists Eternally as one, yet three distinct persons in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I can remember, uh, see, I I didn't grow up with the presupposition that Jesus was God. That was not what I was taught as a child and and raised on. So I, I came to these passages not with my whole, you know, ideology of Christianity intact from the day I was born and my parents teaching me it, but as a college student trying to understand And to see that the deity of Christ is not played out in just one passage, but plays itself out through the entire New Testament is a grounding truth to me. But furthermore, when you say things like, well, how can he both be God and not be God and be with God? Because that doesn't make sense. Because how can you be Greg Pinkner and also with Greg Pinkner in the same time, unless you have multiple personalities, which we've always assumed, okay? (laughs) Here's the thing. That may sound like nonsense, but we need to stop calling things nonsense that God says about himself because we don't understand them. At some point, you have to consider the source and go, okay. Like, I can't do the math that makes E equals MC squared true. But if Einstein comes to me and goes, no, this is right, I go, well, okay. I'm gonna go build a bomb. Like, like you have to realize who the source is. I don't understand how you can be three distinct persons, yet one, but that's what God says about us. And we have to remember who we're talking about here and what's going on here. Because see, here's the thing, we exist in creation. Everything we know and everything we could know exists inside creation. And yet God is outside of creation. He is not part of creation. Creation is his thing. And so there is nothing we could do to learn anything about God because everything we could do can be limited by creation itself. What I mean is, can you run a science experiment to tell you about who God is? No, because that are the tools and the method for creation. You can't go up there to the Oak Ridge lab and go, now watch this, this experiment I will do. And I'll pull God out of non-creation into creation and we'll know what he looks like. You can't do that. In the same way, you can't come up with philosophical ideas that are gonna tell you who God is because all your rationality is grounded in your createdness. The only things we know about God are the things that He tells us about Him. And if He says, in my realm of existence, I exist as three persons, yet one God. We're supposed to go, okay. I don't get that and I don't know if I ever will. That's not the point. The point is, has he clearly told us that there are three persons that are God? Yes. And has he also told us there's one God? Yes. And that's where we ground ourselves. Now the Bible speaks about this person that becomes a human as the son. And we call him the second person of this triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us two distinct things about the Son. I don't want to say that's all it says about the Son. And I don't want to say that it says the Son is the only one. But there are two ways that the Bible talks about the Son that it doesn't really talk about the other two members of the Trinity. And first thing that it says about the Son comes from John chapter one, verse three. So you read this all as one big thing. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. If you know your Bible, that is Genesis language. So the next verse, shouldn't surprise you, is about creation. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made first way the Bible talks uniquely about the Son is it says the Son is the creator. It is the Son who did the act of creation. Okay? Uh, it's not just John, again, who makes this claim about the Son, about Jesus. It's not just... The, John that makes these claims about the uniqueness of the son in Colossians chapter one, it says for by him, he's speaking about Jesus here for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. This is the apostle Paul in Colossians writing the apostle Paul in first Corinthians writing in chapter eight. Uh, yet for us, there is one God, the father from whom all things from whom are all things and for whom we exist and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Now this verse may look like Paul saying there's one God that's father. And then there's a Lord Jesus who's different. People love to use this verse that way, but actually if you read the whole context earlier, he's talking about paganism. He's saying they have many gods, they have many Lords, and they follow these many gods and many lords. He's saying, no, for us, there's one. And he's trying to draw a comparison against those things. The best way to take this verse into how I'm trying to talk about the, the, the son as creator is to think of it this way. And again, any metaphor you use of the Trinity always falls short because we're making up stuff that we can't understand. But the way to think this through is to think of it like this. The father is the architect and the son is the carpenter. Like Jesus likes building stuff, right? See, Jesus does that work. And the thing to understand about Jesus as the Son being the creator of the physical realm is that it is the Son who is the God we can see. And this is why you see John, uh, back in John chapter 1, verse 14, saying things like this And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now later uh, in the next few weeks if you're here and we're talking about John, this verse is actually about Moses, but we'll get to that a lot later. Uh, But he's saying we see the Son, we touch the Son. When the God you will see and touch is going to be Jesus. The God that lives in your heart and you know and you feel is the Spirit. And the God you will never know, the God who will exist beyond all comprehension of humans forever, is the Father. These are ways to think through the people, the, the persons of the Trinity. And, and, and later in John 1, four verses later in John 1, he says, No one has ever seen God, the Now here's what's important is a semicolon. Okay. We're getting into a lot of grammar today. I know no one has ever seen God semicolon new thought Jesus. You should read the only God who is at the father's side. He has made him known. The son is the person we see that tells us who God is. Uh, In fact, On the last night of his life, uh, one of the disciples says to Jesus, and Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. It is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? That's a crazy answer unless you're God. Like at no point am I going to be up here going, now listen, here's what God would do. And the way I want you to know who God is, is just look at me. I know that I am almost divine in appearance. And I want to go ahead and apologize for you having to get a closer look at all this. But when Jesus said, when they said, show us God, that'll be enough for us. And Jesus goes, okay, look at me. Are you with me? That's a crazy answer. Unless you're God. Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Okay, the first way that the Bible talks about the son is it says he's the creator. And the second way the Bible talks about the son is that he is the redeemer of that creation. He is the creator and the redeemer of that creation. Back in John chapter one, verses 12 and 13, it says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God Really look at that. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Christ came to gather his people, who John calls the children of God. Now, here's what's interesting, is that we call the second person of the Trinity, the Son, and his people the children of God. Meaning the picture John wants us to grasp is that Jesus is our oldest brother, okay? Uh, The Bible talks about Christians as being the adopted children of God and the son being his begotten son. So Greg Pinkner is a son of God through my adoption, but Christ is the son of God because he's begotten of God. Now in John's culture, the oldest son is, gets everything. When the father dies, the oldest son inherits everything. He has all the property. Everything belongs to him. If he wants his brothers to get to hang around, they get to. If he doesn't, they don't get to. Uh, Everything belongs to him. It's all his at that point. And, And John is saying, our oldest brother is going to inherit everything and has told us, I am letting you share in my inheritance the kingdom of heaven is Jesus's inheritance, but he's telling his other children, his brothers and sisters through adoption, you're gonna to get to share in my inheritance. I don't want you to be afraid because when I adopt everything, other brothers and sisters have to go, oh, is he gonna throw me out? Am I gonna have anything? No, it's yours. I'm telling you right now, I'm sharing the inheritance with everybody. It's mine and I'm gonna let you share. Here's, here's what I think is kind of interesting. Um, why? is the son spoken of as the creator and the redeemer. And here's what's interesting to me. If the Bible tells me that Jesus has created everything I can see and touch and feel, taste, smell, that has a reality to me. But when the Bible tells me that he is my redeemer and has made me a child of God, there are days I don't believe that. There are days when the sin in me is so overwhelming and my struggle with sin is overwhelming. There's days where I go, how could I possibly be a child of God if that's still in me? When I don't feel intimacy with God. Anybody else feeling that? Amen? Yeah? Okay, because if not, I'll let the ragweed in and we'll go. (laughs) I'll show you fallen nature. (coughs) Okay? And I think what John's trying to tie together here is this idea. He created this and this is just as sure as that. You want to know how much a child of God you are if you have received him and believed in his name? You are as much a child of God if you have believed in and received his name as you are touching and feeling. Your sonship is as Hard and true as the concrete you will drive home on. It is as warm as the hugs you will receive from your loved one. It is that true. And man, John makes no bones about this. In 1 John chapter one, he says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. John is not writing neutrally. How could he? How could John write neutrally about living with God for three years and God telling him, the people who will believe in me through your word are our brothers and sisters? Go get them. How can you live neutrally to that? How can you live neutrally to the idea that Jesus is God in a human form who tells us how to live and how to think and how to walk and how to behave, how to be, and that our existence will be found in him? There's no neutrality there. In fact, at the end of John, he says this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Do you have life in his name? Is John chapter one, verse one, a cataclysm in your life? Something that changed everything. We don't live the same in this country after September 11th. It changed everything. And how much grander and greater is God becoming a human than that? Would you stand and pray with me? If you need to pray with somebody after this is over or you'd just like to talk to one of our elders and maybe one of their spouses about the notion that Jesus is God, but furthermore than that, that he came to bring life in his name. If if you're thinking, what does adoption as children mean? What does salvation by grace mean? We'd love to speak with you about that. Otherwise, we're going to go to prayer now as a congregation. We'd love for you to join us. Let's pray and thank God for everything. Father God, unknowable, unsearchable, eternal, grand, mysterious to us, but through what Christ has told us, that you care for us and love us. Jesus Christ, Son, our Creator and Redeemer, who gave up equality with God in existence, to take on the form of a servant. Holy Spirit, who indwells us, who knows the depths of our minds and our hearts, and prays for us in words we'll never understand. We praise you, God. Three in one, majesty. In all things, let our lives be a praise to your glory. We know we do that through following Jesus Christ and his teachings. I pray you show us how to do that. And everything we pray for the glory of Christ is our aim. At that end, we pray in his name, the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior King, and everything we say. Amen.